Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 184 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. And this is our main news roundup. And there's so much to cover. There's a lot of news this month. But before we do, let me ask, if you are an executive at an enterprise RIA, TAMP, broker-dealer, or asset manager, and you need advice and guidance on your technology infrastructure, you should run, not walk, to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Contact Us form on the homepage. Our experienced team can help with evaluations of your current technology platform, optimizing that platform, running RFPs, performing software implementations, conducting operational improvements, and more. You can sign up for a free consultation by going to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com. Now, a few quick householding notes or housekeeping notes before we continue. This episode is sponsored by the Invest in Others Foundation. Go to investinothers.org for more information. And please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's kick this thing off. Our first story, Riskalyze rebrands as Nitrogen, a growth platform. Some of the best marketing in the fintech space or wealth tech space has been from Riskalyze. I've said this many times. I've told uh, their team. I think their marketing is fantastic. And they really outdid themselves on this rebrand. I'm sure you saw it. It was all over social media, whether it was Twitter or LinkedIn. You couldn't get away from it. Uh, they did a very good job. And it's really a, a meta move to make your a marketing task, a marketing event into this live stream and this whole uh, event and excitement around it. They did a great job building it up. Uh, not too much, but just enough having a great cast of of clients uh, and other supporting people talk about it, um, what went on behind the scenes uh, during the event. And I thought they executed it well. And they even executed the brand change right in the middle of the live stream with the website, all the marketing materials, even the core software, all switching over to the new branding while they were doing the event. Kudos to the team. And I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm reaching over to my back to pat myself uh, because back in February of 2017, 2017, that's six years ago, I wrote an article called Riskalyze Expands Beyond Profiling to Become a Tamp Supermarket. And in that article, I predicted they would have to change their name one day. I was just a little bit ahead of the curve, six years to be precise, but they finally did it. Good job, guys. Better late than never. And also thank you for picking a name, a nitrogen name, which is great, means growth, uh, but without the word advisor, smart, or vest in your name. Thank you so much. Now, one of the things uh, I liked about uh, Aaron Klein, the CEO, uh, some of the things he did during the the whole live stream event, uh, afterwards he posted answers to some questions that advisors had asked him. One of them really stood out to me. Some advisors were asking that about what do they do with the Riskalyze brand that they present to their clients? Because they use the word Riskalyze uh, in terms of, I'm going to analyze your portfolio using Riskalyze, or I'm going to have you take a Riskalyze questionnaire. What do they do? Do they now call it the nitrogen questionnaire? And Aaron uh, answered it very well. He said, in all candor, we didn't design either the Riskalyze or nitrogen brands with your clients in mind. Boom. Yes, that's it. This is an advisor brand. It's, it's targeted towards advisors. Now, that said, the risk number brand, which is still an integral part of the nitrogen wealth platform, as uh, Aaron said, was designed from day one with advisors, clients as the primary audience. 
and their logo was never involved. That way, the advisors could white label it and present themselves. And this is really part of their delivery, which is a great way we recommend most of our clients to do that, to offer a white label option. That way, the advisor's um, brand is front and center because the clients, the end clients don't care about the brand of report or um, you know client statement or risk tolerance that the advisor is using. They just want to see the advisor's brand. So again, uh, big props to uh, Aaron Klein and the Riskalyze team. A couple of the things I liked about the rebrand was all the little behind the scenes vignettes they were dropping during the week. And then the, a big video at the end, um, which was kind of fun to watch uh, the, all the kind of the behind the scenes things that were going on. Uh, it was silly, but still fun. And finally, welcome Riskalyze to the Purple Gang. You've joined the club of the Purple Brand. We had this Purple Grand Desert Group for 18 years, but you're welcome. Come on in. Now, of course, you're not Mr. Purple like Tony Steak, um, but you are now in the Purple Gang, so welcome. Next up, we're sticking with the, the Riskalyze theme. I'm sorry, the Riskalyze Nitrogen theme with a new story. Riskalyze Nitrogen Orion and Orion expand their integration pact. I should read that all over again. Nitrogen, the growth platform, and Orion expand their integration pack. Now, these two companies are some of the biggest in the space with the uh, large number of advisory firms, thousands and thousands of advisory firms uh, using their software. They have always had so in some form of integration, at least as far back as 2014 was the earliest I could find. And advisors can now do things like include risk and risk analytics in Orion's client portal, uh, you have they have a dedicated sub-report in Orion's report builder. Uh, th these are available now, and there's other uh, integrations back and forth between the two applications. But this new integration uh, adds more uh, capabilities between them. They're able to seamlessly bring accounts and models directly into the Riskalyze proposal. That is, accounts and models from Orion into the nitrogen. I keep saying it. This is going to take a while. Sorry, guys. Into the nitrogen proposal process in the nitrogen growth platform. Also, what I think is a, is a key part of this delivery is Orion's portfolio groups are also now reflected as account groups in Nitrogen. That's cool. That's super useful because it was, it was a pain into some of our clients moving back and forth, not having those linkages uh, to be able to group up uh, accounts. So it's good to have that. And then some of the things we liked that the from Orion to Riskalyze, you can send information such as households, account groups, accounts, holdings, and models. And then from Riskalyze back to Orion, you can regularly sync household risk number, account risk number, model risk number, uh, and a couple other reports. Now, in the future, the firm said they plan to deliver another integration this year that will bring Orion's aggregated account feeds into Nitrogen's compliance analytics to drive growth and alignment visibility across the entire firm. So we love this. More integrations, everyone, please. More integrations. We're all we're a big fan of integrations between all the applications. Uh, don't forget to check our website, azuregroupllc.com, and look at our integration, WealthTech integration score. You can check out the integration scores for both of these firms and for every other firm pretty much on the Keats's Ezra Group Advisor Tech map. Acorns acquires European robos to expand their footprint overseas. I've written many times that Acorns in my opinion, will be the first robo-advisor to be worth a billion dollars. I think they've bypassed, they've gone right past that number. And a funding round last year, they uh, were worth $2 billion in a $300 million Series F. 
And their previous funding round was 2019. They're worth 860 million. So sometime between January 2019 and March 2022, they hit a billion. I'm pretty sure that was before any of the other firms. Although there were some deals, a uh, personal capital deal when they were acquired by Empower claimed to be a billion, but I believe it was only like 770, 770 million plus incentives. So technically not a billion. And the Wealthfront deal with UBS was claimed to be a billion, although also had significant incentives. And that deal fell through anyway, so it doesn't even count. Uh, although Betterment did hit a billion dollar valuation, 1.3 in September 2020, September 2021. However, I'm still holding by my, my uh, claim that Acorns was the first actual billion dollar, though they're so close. Um, let's make another claim. I'm going to claim that Acorns will be the first robo-advisor worth $10 billion. Now, why? Why do you say? How's that possible? Well, partly uh, from their just massive user base. With this uh, acquisition, where they acquired two firms, one was called GoHenry, based in the UK, another one called PixPay, based in France, they hit 6 million users. That's a lot of users, considering that Wealthfront has about 500,000, Betterment at 900,000. So which one of these firms is more likely to monetize that user base and generate a lot more revenue? I'd say it's Acorns. You're, you're, you're 5X or uh, you know, 6X or more the number of users. It's just natural that you're going to be able to generate more revenue from them, and especially considering Acorns' business model. Let's see. So Acorns um, has a number of, of, uh, of uh, products. One is their, their Roundup. Um, you know, smart money or their, or their micro savings, which was how they started out, you know, invest your spare change, linking to your credit cards, which is also unique, right? So if you're a regular robo-advisor, you just say, give me your savings and we'll, we'll start investing it for you for retirement. Uh, but Acorn started differently. They said, let us connect to your credit card account. That gives them a lot of data about uh, investors, about their consumers' um, sp expenses and their their spending habits that they can use to to sell them other stuff. Uh, so they do a micro savings app, rounding up your, your transactions. You spend $1.27 on something, it rounds up to $2 and so on. Um, that doesn't generate a lot of money. Their average account size, uh, I think that's the data here. Average account size is $3,600 and they charge $36 a year, $3 a month. Very simple flat subscription fee, easy for consumers to understand and easy for them to, to fall into a, a sense of, Hey, this is cheap when it's really not. It's really very expensive. Uh, if they charge $3 a month times 12, $36, with an average account size of $3,600, that's 100 basis points. Really expensive uh, for a robo-advisor. And that's just the average, of course, half or, or more than that. And as their client base ages, their assets will grow. And of course, some will leave and go to the Merrill Lynch's, Morgan Stanley's, larger RIAs, Mariner Wealth, and others. But a significant portion, I believe, are going to stay. These accounts are going to be sticky because of the other products, because they have, so they've got their, their micro savings. They've got their um, IRA, which I believe is also $3 a month. They have their um, affinity program, which is like a cash back, but the money goes into your savings account. They've got hundreds of products and uh, retail partners where if you buy something from uh, Adidas, as an example, you get 20 or $30 into your savings account. So it's just like a cashback program. And that also creates more loyalty that, that no other company has, at least not in our space. 
There's no other robo-advisor that does what Acorns does to build a community and build this type of affinity. Now, the companies they bought, GoHenry is the most interesting in that they focus on educating children about finance. They have a spending card that they sell to the parents that they can give to their children between 6 and 18 years of age and give them a budget, basically. So uh, I think that's great. We don't give enough. We don't spend enough education on on finance for children about budgeting, about credit cards, auto loans, how to get a mortgage, uh, even the simple things about what's a checking account. There isn't enough. I know um, where my uh, daughters went to school, they had one semester of financial literacy. That's not enough. Your kids need that. You need you, you, you take your financial literacy class and you're done. You forget it, right? You need something every year on a regular basis uh, to, to really get that information to stick in their brains. So I like that they're buying GoHenry, again, a, a low a low cost provider. Uh, although Acorns also has a, a product called Acorns Early that they launched in 2020, which is an investment account uh, that parents can set up for their children. So um, we know Acorns makes money via subscriptions. Uh, I think the business model is great. Now, the um, once a consumer is onboarded into the Acorns ecosystem, I believe they're very unlikely to churn, as I mentioned. Uh, the average consumer in the U.S. sticks with their primary checking account, as an example, for at least 16 years. So I think the same holds true for their investment accounts, that people just want to stick. It's inertia. Once they have an account, they're going to keep it. Uh, and this recurring subscription model that uh, is also going to be sticky. And they've got, uh, oh, another thing that Acorns has, they launched uh, a debit card with a checking account, which became tremendously successful. And also by knowing what their customers are spending money on, they can offer them more tailored products that meet their financial needs later. We're going to see more new products come out based on this data. It's going to make it more sticky. And we're going to see Acorns grow their assets from $16 billion now, probably to $100 billion in a few years. And they'll be considered a more serious player in the wealth management space. Growth makes operations more complex, say 75% of RIAs in a new Schwab survey. Conducted during the first two weeks of December in 2022, Schwab's 16th Annual Independent Advisor Outlook Study polled 862 RIAs. Uh, we love this kind of data. I love seeing what's going on in the industry, what advisors are thinking. A couple of interesting things right off the bat. Of course, growth makes operations more complex. That's sort of a no-brainer. I'm surprised only 75% said that. It's really should be 100%. Uh, growth always makes things more complex. And uh, one interesting part was the average age of the 862 advisors survey was only 52 years, which is less than I thought it would be. And checking some other surveys, I didn't do an exhaustive check, but a 2019 J.D. Power study found the average age of financial advisors was 55 years old. So is the average age of advisors going down? Uh, maybe somebody can fact check me on that. Uh, maybe these are just two snapshots from a, a unique cohort. So though Schwab's a pretty big company with the, uh, the, with the most RIAs are uh, custody with them. So you'd think their data would be pretty accurate of the industry as a whole. So could be that the average age of advisors is trending down as uh, advisors retire and new ones come in. And the average age of, of the average age, the average AUM of these advisors was 400 million. As far as how they differentiate themselves, 87% of respondents said it has to do with offering personalized portfolios. But is this really a true differentiation? 
I've been saying this for a number of years. There are uh, some advisors, um, a minority of uh, advisors out there that are really terrific investment managers. They have a knack for it. They've been doing it for a long time and they have a strong track record of success. But most do not. Most trail the market um, by a, a wide margin. Certainly they trail home office portfolios, asset manager portfolios. And yet many advisors still believe that they need to be out there picking stocks and building models. And the advice engagement category on the Keatsis Ezra Group map is full of uh, innovative products that are helping advisors move away from uh, the investment performance and investment management value proposition. So I've got a couple of stories that lead into that around that particular uh, narrative. One is Absolute Engagement launches, launches a software platform to capture real-time client feedback. Absolute Engagement is a company founded by Julie Littlechild in 2014, and they empower advisors to drive personalized engagement at scale. They had been known for uh, managing and, and running client surveys, uh, point-in-time snapshots on client surveys. And what they found was advisors wanted more real-time information about their clients. They found the surveys were really helpful, but they were just run once a, run once a year on average, and they were getting a snapshot, but they needed more real-time data to help make more meaningful interactions. So uh, Absolute Engagement and Julie Littlechild launched a new software product, which they're calling the Absolute Engagement Engine to drive more meaningful interactions with leads, prospects, and clients while helping advisors learn more about those interactions over time. The engine plugs into the firm's existing workflow, uh, it integrates with uh, tools like the CRM and financial planning software so that it doesn't interrupt the the, the advisor's uh, workflow or the client's workflow as, as well. So the, uh, the engagement engine technology is rooted in what's called reveal and respond framework developed by, uh, by the little child and the team at Absolute Engagement. They have deep experience developing, as I mentioned, one-to-many surveys that take a snapshot of client sentiments. But these, this engine, this software, allows advisors to capture one-to-one -one input at each stage in the client journey. What it can do is capture things, of course, nothing about investment management per se. It captures all the soft uh, aspects of, of building a relationship with another human being, captures perceptions, preferences, expectations of an advisor's prospects and clients, and goes deeper to, to reveal needs, feelings, and priorities. And I think these are all very helpful for advisors to move away from just assets and get into more of life coaching, get into more of a full holistic wealth planning that, that involves understanding more about your clients. Uh, there was a, a, one of the RIA clients of advice engagement, I think it's a $2 billion RIA, says that there are early beta testers of the engine, and they said it helped them prepare for client reviews more effectively since their client profile data is always up to date rather than being out of date. So having this this one-on-one -on -one referral tool, or this one-on-one -on -one, uh, data capture tool really helped them. On a separate note about absolute engagement, they recently added a new member to their advisory board, uh, and that's Matt Brinker from Merchant Investment Management. So kudos to Absolute Engagement. Congrats for bringing uh, Matt on to the advisory board. And if you want more information about Absolute Engagement, you can go to absoluteengagement.com. The next uh, advice engagement story I wanted to talk about was uh, advice engagement platform Lumiant announced a $3.5 million US seed funding round. And actually another story, they have two stories for Lumiant. They also acquired, maybe using some of that seed funding, 
uh, uh, they made their first acquisition and they acquired longevity and health planning fintech Genivity. Now, Lumiant is, is uh, in the advice engagement category. And I forgot to mention absolute engagement is in the workflow support category because they have some strong workflow tools built into the engine, but it could just as easily have been in the advice engagement category as well. That's what gets a little tricky sometimes is applications that have multiple capabilities. What category do you put them in? Lumiant is in advice engagement and they offer client discovery and lead capture tools that advisors use to engage with clients on both financial and non financial goals. So you can see the, the the trend here. Get away from just financial goals. Look at non-financial information around the client's uh, life. Lumiant has a number of, of tools in, inside their suite uh, of software. Three of them, they're called Your Life, Your Values, Your Goals. They all rely on surveys to gather information about clients, such as uh, what life outcomes the clients would deem to be successful, what their values are, understanding what the value in life which, they, which the, the firm believes increases referrals. And they have a goals, a goals tool, which sort of overlaps with financial planning software. However, they believe their methodology is better. And they say in their, uh, in their data, it shows that traditional financial planning software users, uh, advisors using traditional financial planning software average less than two goals per household. However, advisors who are using Lumiant average 7.6 goals per household. So that's got to be better. You're learning more about clients and more about what their life is about, what they where they want to be in life. So that can only help advisors uh, build stronger relationships and other th things around that that are more focused on advisors' revenue, growing, growing wallet share, and reducing churn. And for example, uh, CEO Blake Wood, uh, CEO of the U.S. version of Lumia, because Lumia was founded in Australia and launched in the U.S. last year. Uh, Blake Wood, formerly Investments Director of Product, um, uh, shared a story where he ran his own mother went through the process, and he discovered something about uh, his mother's needs and his mother's goals that she was really worried about being a financial burden to her family. Even though she wasn't, all of, all of her children are very successful, but she was still worried. So she didn't spend any money on herself. She saved way more than she needed to in retirement. Instead of enjoying her, her money, maybe traveling a bit, um, she just put it away because she was just so nervous about that. And maybe if, if her advisor had known that, he, he or she maybe could have counseled her to say, hey, you don't really need this much in retirement. Here's things we can do to help you. Supporting the, the theory of advice engagement soon to be a critical part of most advisors' tech stacks. It was a, a Fidelity survey which came out at the T3 conference that they found in their survey, 40% of advised investors want their advisor to provide support beyond investment management. So there you go. There's a backup stat that uh, you got a significant number of investors who want more information. And even more surprising to me was they found some other results that 33% of investors surveyed said they want their advisor to help them make healthcare decisions. That's really something that came out of left field, but something advisors can uh, help them with, whether it's how to save for healthcare, what kind of insurance to buy for healthcare. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there. You can check the uh, Keats Ezra Group Advisor Tech Map. There's a healthcare planning section of tools that can help advisors with healthcare decisions. And a couple of other things uh, we like about Lumiant. One, they are mobile first. So most of the clients access their software on their mobile phones. 
this funding round, this $3.5 million in funding, brings their total funding to $9 million. And if you want to hear to learn more about Lumiant, oh, before I forgot, uh, Genivity. So Lumiant um, acquired a, a fintech firm called Genivity. It was just announced at the InvestNet conference, which was in Denver a couple weeks ago. And speaking about the InvestNet conference, I remember first meeting uh, founder and CEO Heather Holmes of Genivity back at the 2017 InvestNet Advisor Summit when they were chosen as the best fintech innovation out of the InvestNet Yodely Tech Incubator. And just very quickly, uh, one of the things I like about Genivity is they have a healthcare survey, um, uh, rather a um, a life events and, and health survey where um, clients or prospects walk through it to talk about their history of healthcare issues in their family. And they the survey's designed so well and gamified so well that they um, find that for every prospect or client that fills out this survey, they send it to 12 of their relatives to get more information about their family's health issues and health history. Well, that's a that's just a, a incredible bonus in terms of lead gen for advisors. Uh, and they've got a lot of other tools. You can go check them out at genimity.com. Uh, you can check out Lumiant at lumiant.io. That's not lumiant.com, L-U-M-I-A-N-T, but lumiant.io. Next up, we have a triple news story, all from Altruist. Uh, they simultaneously raised $112 million in a Series D round. They launched their own self-clearing unit called Altruist Clearing, and they acquired brokerage and custodial platform SSNG. What a month or a series of weeks for Altruist. Uh, first off, their, their $112 million Series D, led by Insight Partners and Adam Street. That brings their total funding to around $290 million. And that announcement came on the heels of their acquisition of Shareholder Services Group. Now, uh, SSG had around 1,600 advisors at the time of the acquisition. and But still, uh, uh, I think Jason posted this on Twitter, that uh, they brought in record assets in Q1 2023 before the SSG acquisition. So even though that doubled the number of advisors, or more than doubled, they still are growing very fast. Uh, in addition to the firms mentioned in the funding round, they also got some noted industry luminaries joining in on the investment, including Bill McNabb, former chairman and CEO of Vanguard, Ron Carson, founder and CEO of Carson Group, and Marty Bicknell, CEO and president of Mariner Wealth Advisors. Now, with 3,300 either advisors or RIA firms, I think that's advisors, 3,300 advisors on their platform, Altruist is now the third largest custodian by number of firms, but that's not really how we measure custodians. It's usually by AUM. So I'm assuming they're much farther behind Pershing, which is the number three by AUM. Since that's how advisors, or that's how custodians make money is on AUM, not on the number of clients. But still, it's impressive um, that they're growing so quickly. And you know, the so the $112 million, what's that money for? They are using it to broaden their market reach so up until now, they've been targeting RIAs under $100 million and been very successful, uh, bringing in, again, 1,500 advisors from those smaller firms. But now they want to move upstream to the $100 million to $1 billion size. And those mid-sized advisory firms have different needs, um, such as account access and credentialing uh, and other support. So they think that's what that money will be used for. The... Now, uh, SSNG, based in San Diego, is a much older company than Altruist. 
They were founded in 2002. And they are not a custodian themselves. They are an introducing broker-dealer, and which means they are uh, reselling uh, another vendor's custody, which is Pershing. So they have BNY Mellon Pershing's custody for their client assets and clearing. And that, uh, according to the articles, they are going to be sticking with Pershing, but I think strongly encouraging their clients to to switch to Altruist. I'm sure there'll be some savings mentioned, uh, better service, better support, um, different, of course, different technology. So uh, I think there'll be a, a, a while they're not claiming they're not going to do a mass conversion. They are going to be strong, strongly encouraging those uh, those firms to to switch over. Now the SSNG acquisition, I believe, would not have occurred if they hadn't been going self clearing. And the question is why? Why do you want to be self clearing? Why not just continue the way you were working, which is also uh, as a independent or rather an introducing broker dealer, which was how Altruist has been operating since they were founded. And they started with, I believe, Drive Wealth as the custodian, but ran into some problems such as around ACATS that you know, Drive Wealth is really designed for robos, not for RIA servicing. So then they switched to Apex and they've been on Apex for a while. Now they are they're, as an introducing broker dealer to Apex, reselling, basically reselling their custody. And now they are going self-clearing. So one of the reasons that, uh, from what I heard from Jason, uh, they posted a uh, an office hours, uh, basically a webinar internally that was talking about some of the reasons why they went self-clearing. One of the things he was saying was his front-end software and the clearing uh, and custody of Apex were not always in sync, which caused some problems. And that they believe being a full-stack custodian, being the custodian of all cash and securities of your client accounts, uh, gives them more flexibility. They say it also improves the speed of deployment because they're no longer tied down by whoever the custodian is, their product roadmap, and their um, their service and support. So they can they can take that on themselves. They believe, uh, Jason, according to Jason uh, Wank, the CEO and founder, they're going to have lightning quick account opening now, uh, one to one and a half minutes to open an account, which really is lightning fast. Just a few clicks to sh- initiate ACATs. With the transfers, the actual transfers of, secure, of securities happening in less than a week, which is all due to their communications being entirely digital. There were other there were some of the limitations in the introducing BD model, such as account types they couldn't support. I guess that was limited by what Apex had, cash management issues, and other things, so trade order management. They didn't they weren't really happy with. So now they will do it all themselves. And they now they have to convert from Apex to Altruist Clearing. So there is a conversion going on, although they claim there'll be no repapering because they're using negative consent. So all it'll happen automatically when clients log in. I guess it's happening this month. They'll just get a pop-up saying, here's what's happening. Click here to approve. Boom, and they're done as long as they click the button. And negative consent is definitely the way to go if you can do that when you're converting custodians because you don't need to repaper. Of course, there's a regulatory difference between broker-dealers, introducing broker-dealers and banks, how they handle custody. There was an issue about a lot of talk about the SVB crisis and how that would impact custodians such as Schwab or now new altruist clearing. And uh, they believe that due to the regulatory differences, they've, uh, they're have they okay in terms of their, their stability. Um, a couple of the benefits they're getting from going self-clearing, they're eliminating the reliance on overnight batch processing, which such a bane of our existence uh, when it comes to dealing with custodians. Basically, everything you're doing, all the reporting, all the trading is based on yesterday's data. So if you can 
move everything faster. If you are the custodian, you have access to your data in real time for trading, cash management. Uh, there's no more recon, right? You're not reconciling it to uh, the custodian because you are the custodian. You are the, the system of record, the golden source. All benefits of going self-clearing. And we don't really see many new RIA custodians entering the market. Uh, you know, if you look at the Keats as a group advisor tech map, we have lots of other things coming in, lots of other tools and technologies, but not a lot of custodians because it's just it's a non-trivial task to build out a custodian. I believe they uh this took a number of years for Altruist to do this. Uh they probably started building this custodian as soon as they switched to Apex, it seems, uh, because I think it took them at least three years. They said there were 300 and 350 team members working on this. A lot of work, a lot of effort. It's a big lift. So that's why we don't really see a lot of new REA custodians coming out. Interesting comment uh, I read in the, the article on wealthmanagement.com. It was a comment from Alan Moore, the CEO and co-founder of XY Planning Network, who said, in the end, custodians make their money not in the billions, but in the trillions of AUM. So he's interested to see if they can be successful, and they being altruist, can be successful in scaling operations to a point where they can remain a standalone custodian. My opinion is uh, that Jason Wink and his team are in this for the long haul. Uh, with that Series D, they've got enough uh, dry powder to keep building out their technology and capabilities and support, and they've already been doing a great job. So I, I would, I'm putting my money on Jason that they're going to be uh, in this for the long haul. If you want more information about Altruist, please go visit them on the website at altruist.com. And next, we have two stories about Dynasty Financial. First up, Smart RIA announces a second strategic investment round from Dynasty Financial Partners and Market Council. Now, financial advisors are required to navigate increasingly complex waters when it comes to regulatory compliance. And those who choose to ignore the rules can find themselves in hot water with federal and or state regulators. They may also face punishment or suspension by boards of standards that govern any professional designations that they might hold. So it's not surprising to us that the use of reg tech software is growing across the industry. And this trend is driving investment in those software providers. So Dynasty, which is a service provider themselves to more than 50 independent RIAs, and Market Council, a regulatory consultancy and also the um, publisher or publishers, the managers of the uh, Market Council Conference, first invested together in Smart RIA back in 2021, way back in 2021. Now, this deal closed three months ago, and Dynasty had already begun onboarding RIAs in its network to onto the Smart RIA platform. And oh, yeah, I think that's from the previous article. Yeah, that's from 2021. So they closed the first deal in 2021, and they were already onboarding. Uh, RIAs onto the smart RIA platform. So it makes a lot of sense. Why not invest in your service provider? You get a seat on their board, you get a lot more say in their platform and features and functionality. I think um, Brian Hamburger, founder of Market Council, is going to be on the board of Smart RIA. And uh, earlier this year, Dynasty said it was going to begin using its own balance sheet to purchase minority stakes in members of its network, rounding out the capital solutions it already offers. And uh, Cheryl Penny uh, also talked about this at the T3 conference. If you read my summary of the conference, which is on Keats's.com, I talked about Cheryl's uh, presentation, which, by the way, was with uh, was a fireside chat with Brian Hamburger. Some really uh, useful information about RIA uh, M&A. Now, the Smart RIA Pro platform has a number of capabilities. They pitch it as an all-in-one compliance platform for RIAs. 
It has compliance calendar and dashboard, which eliminates all the spreadsheets you normally have to manage. They have an encrypted file storage library, oversight reporting with compliance alerts, CRM integrations, and we love integrations, trade monitoring, and data governance. Related to Smart RIA, they had another, um, something last year came out that they partnered with Keatsis.com to offer IAR continuing education. So Smart RIA is, um, from their dashboard, advisors who are using their tools can access CE content provided by Keatsis.com. So that's a nice integration there. If you want more information about Smart RIA, go to smart-ria.com. The second dynasty story is their selection of Bridge FT as their primary data aggregation provider. Bridge FT is an interesting story. They started out, I don't know the exact year, I don't have that, but it's been at least 10 years. They started as a full platform, RIA platform, that was built on top of the old Fiserv APL system. So they had their own uh, interface to it, their own, they were white labeling Fiserv APLs, full managed account platform for RIAs. That went on for a while. Uh, and eventually, um, I think they were trying to become a lower cost provider um, uh, competing for uh, RIAs with Orion and Morningstar Office, Black Diamond and such. And I don't think they got a lot of traction in that market. So they uh, pivoted. They hired Joe Stenslin, who would be the new CEO. And he pivoted the company to be more of a data provider, uh, basically a custodial data aggregator, which is a great idea since they already had all those capabilities built. And now they're offering that to uh, other vendors and, uh, and wealth management firms who want to build their own technology, such as Dynasty. They have the capability to build their own tools and technologies, and this way they can own the multi-custodial data coming in, then feed that to InvestNet or Ryan or whatever tools they happen to be using. So it's a really good idea. I mean, we're, we're big proponents of wealth management firms doing whatever they can to um, protect themselves and own more of the data and more of the technology. And don't be, be as beholden to vendors. For example, if you bring in an RIA platform, an end-to-end platform, you basically, they basically own your data. It's very difficult to switch platforms uh, in, in that time because you've got to convert everything. You've got to, of course, retrain everybody, but also that moving that data from one platform to another can be a huge pain. And we've done a lot of research on moving portfolio management systems. If you bring in a provider like Bridge FT and you own the custodial data, that gives you an advantage, a bit more of an advantage when, when if you wanted to switch out your portfolio management system, because then you just send the data to the new vendor, but you control that rather than the vendor controlling it. It's not complete. I'd rather have the, the, the clients own the data as well. So build a data lake, data warehouses to hold the portfolio management data and then feed it to the portfolio management system for rebalancing and other and performance reporting and such. That way you own the data in your format, but that's a, that's a much bigger lift that requires much more capabilities. However, this uh, selection of Bridge FT as their uh, data aggregation provider also comes with an investment, I believe. I'm looking at the story right now. This is written by my friend Ryan Neal on Investment News. Dynasty Financial selects Bridge FT as primary data aggregation provider. There was an investment, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't find it at the moment, uh, that Dynasty made. Again, you can see the pattern. They're finding uh, good technology providers, and they are not only signing up with them, but they're investing in them. So that gives them a lot more, a lot more leverage. So you can go, if you want to find out more information about Dynasty, you can go to their website. And uh, if you want to find more information about Bridge FT, it is bridgeft.com.
Next up, wealth tech vendor GeoWealth buys Tamp First Ascent. We first met the uh, GeoWealth team way back in 2017. Uh, I was impressed by their platform. Uh, the tech was a bit lightweight. They were still you know, building out their tools and technology, um, but impressed they built it all themselves. Bit clunky. Um, some some major gaps like advisors can only create models through spreadsheet uploads, but we got another demo last year and it looks a lot better. It's a full platform now, very impressive. Um, they describe themselves as a hybrid between a SaaS platform and a TAMP. We see them more as a back office outsourcer uh, until this acquisition of uh, of First Ascent. So in the, in the past, Geo Wealth was less focused on the investment process. The majority of their RIA clients, about 100 or so, built their own models. And their largest RIA was about $2.6 billion with 100, 135,000 accounts. 135,000 accounts on the platform. That's a lot of accounts. That's a decent-sized uh, product. Uh, the total AUM now is around $21 billion. And uh, they built all their tech, their core portfolio accounting, prop gen, order management, rebalancing, Model Center. We like their service center, which is a trade communications portal for uh, advisors to communicate with their trading team. Uh, this uh, acquisition is the first they've made since GeoWealth's $19 million funding round last January, although they did have done a bunch, a bit of poaching of executives from their competitors. Now, First Ascent is an asset manager, and they will continue to operate as a standalone subsidiary. Uh, again, I mentioned 21 billion in total assets, 180 clients of which 90% are RIAs of the total of the combined firms. They're keeping First Ascent's Denver and Chicago offices in operation. And First Ascent builds and sells their own portfolios and investment products, whereas GeoWealth relied on third-party providers. So uh, I believe the intention is to use First Ascent as the full-service GeoWealth TAMP. Uh, for advisors that want to uh, purchase models and have the company build, uh, manage it all for them, all the back office and administrative services. So uh, they'll have two two brands running simultaneously for advisors, depending on what their needs are. According to the CEO, Colin Falls, this is not an asset purchase where you rip out the tech and fire everyone. The only proprietary software that First Ascent was using was their onboarding technology. There won't be any layoffs. This is a growth story. Love that message. Hope they, they stay true to that. It was interesting that First Ascent bought some technology last year. They bought one of their providers, similar to what Dynasty was doing. First Ascent bought their provider of onboarding technology. It was called Forward Financial Technology. Never heard of them before. Risk tolerance, prop gen, account owning, opening technology. And they bought that. Not sure if they're keeping it or not, um, but they are planning to move onto the GeoWealth platform, which makes sense. They've got a full-featured, uh, full-featured capabilities, be able to just keep the onboarding, which makes sense because that's really the only only parts that uh, clients or advisors would ever see. Everything else is in the back end. Now, what they will be changing is First Ascent had built their TAMP technology on top of Orion for performance reporting, billing, and other, other parts of the application. So that's going to go away. So Orion can't be happy about that. And that's going to be a significant cost savings because Orion is not cheap and it'll give First Ascent an immediate bump in cash flow. Just to tell you how, how much it costs to, to run Orion's tech, uh, it's going to make them break even. Right? So they were losing money all this time. Now they're going to break even since they don't need to pay Orion anymore. That's a longer term business benefit of course. Of course. Uh, First Ascent was known in the industry for their flat fee 
Earth Services, which they were the first ones to come out with that about six years ago. They charge $1,400 per household with an additional $500 charge for every $1 million over $3 million. So it's uh, very scalable for advisors and their clients. First Ascent grew their assets by 1,000% from 2019 through 2021. Do I have that right? And they're now uh, $1.8 billion at the time of the sale. I am super excited for uh, this deal, especially for Scott uh, McAlop, the um, the CEO of First Ascent. Scott uh, is really a, a is a I'm really impressed by him and uh, envious of 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 what he can do. Uh, he shows that just age is just a number. He started First Ascent when he was 63, and now eight years later sold it at 71, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, you know, he's the oldest seven. He's the youngest 71 year old you'll ever meet. The guy is hiking and riding and skiing. Uh, I'm jealous of what I'm see when I see his stuff posts on on LinkedIn. I'm like, wow, I want to be there. Um, so Colin and the Geo Wealth team have a fantastic partner to continue their growth. Uh, all the best to them. You can check out these firms at geowealth.com and firstascentam.com. Now it's time for our review of the Advisor Tech Map Changes for the month. As you know, Michael Keatsis and I partner on the Advisor Tech Map, which you can find on keatsis.com slash fintechmap. And every month we go through all the new vendors, uh, new products that want to be added to the map, as well as other changes, adjustments, uh, reconfigurations that uh, are needed. Now this month, I think this is probably the most uh, applications we have added, at least in a couple of years. There are 18 new products that are appearing on the May map that weren't here before. I'm just going to do a quick rundown of them, uh, names of the product, and what category they are in. Uh, before I start, there's a new category added this month. Yes, we managed to squeeze in a whole other category. It's called uh, investment, not investment, insurance, data, and analytics for products that do insurance data analytics, uh, which is different than investment data analytics because these do it for insurance policies. So running down the list, the alphabetical order, we have Advi Ally, which is a new CRM tool. We haven't seen a new CRM in quite some time. So welcome Advi Ally. Advisor Armor is a managed service provider, mainly a provider of cybersecurity. And I think we're creating, do we create a subcategory? I need to bring up the map while I'm uh, while I'm talking here. We, were, oh, we didn't do it. Oh, we did. So cybersecurity, managed service providers, which is in the middle top of the map, we added a subcategory for cybersecurity. Advisor Armor and FCI are in there. Uh, Advisor Finder is next under Lead Gen, another category that's getting really crowded. So if you're thinking about a new product and you want to do Lead Gen, just remember there's a lot of stuff in there. Okay, that was Advisor Finder. Amplify, this is Portfolio Management. And of course, you can always get to these websites from the map. Just click on their logo. If you don't realize that, the, the PDF is live. And you know, each one of the, the logos has a, a link, a hyperlink, which you can click on. So I'm not going to give you all the URLs uh, on the podcast. All right, that was Amplify is a portfolio management application. Next is Arch, A-R-C-H, account aggregation for alternative investments. Canoe Intelligence. Investment Data Analytics, Caravel Compass, and it's going in Planning Light. Financialadvisors.com is Lead Gen. 
Lemire, that's in two E's, L-A space M-E-E-R, Lemire, is in compliance. Levitate, digital marketing, life insurance sustainability analysis, or LISA, is the first going in insurance data and analytics. MirrorWeb, it's a good name, social media archiving. New Retirement, another good name, Planning Light. Reich and Tang, not a good name. Cash Management. Trustworthy, Specialized Planning Legacy. Uh, Verilytic goes under Insurance Analytics. Wealthvoice.ai is going to, under, in digital marketing. And finally, Wink is Insurance Analytics. As I mentioned, a new category, insurance data analytics. Uh, other changes. We have one other change. Wealth access moved from client portal. Just double check before I say anything. Moved from client portal, there it is, to advisor data warehousing, uh, which you can find right in the middle of the map. And I think that's all the changes. Uh, I always like to talk about the things that weren't added or generically. I don't want to mention the company's names. But if you are a company that is offering consulting services, you're not going to get on the map. If you're offering investment products or options or some sort of derivatives, you're selling some sort of securities or investment products, you're not going to get on the map. That's not what the map is for. The map is for software. You have to be selling software um, for a price. If you're giving away software as a, as a loss leader because you're selling some sort of product, you're most likely not going to get on the map. Uh, uh, if you offer any of the kinds of services, if you're a TAMP, you're not going to get on this map, uh, although there are some TAMPs on the map because they also sell software uh, or they sell um, you know, they, they sell um, a combination of software and TAMPs like InvestNet and Orion are on the map uh, because you can also buy their software separately. But um, firms that only sell TAMP services do not get on the map. You have to have some sort of, some sort of software that advisors can buy uh, or other types of services are not going to get on the map either. And of course, any f companies that uh, close or get acquired that are no longer being sold uh, will be taken off the map. As long as if a, if a company acquires another company and they continue to sell the product under the original name or still as a standalone product, we will keep it on the map most likely. Uh, if, of course, if they integrate it and you can no longer buy it, we'll take it off the map. There are a few conditions where a firms get multiple logos. It's very rare. We're trying to, we're going to be rationalizing that soon. Uh, there's some uh, grandfathered in uh, products that are uh, that allowed uh, uh, companies to have two logos. Uh, for example, InvestNet has InvestNet Tamarack and InvestNet Money Guide. We left Money Guide on because it's still being sold standalone. And plus it's one of the uh, most popular uh, applications, but also number one, probably number one financial planning tool. So we left that on there. Uh, Morningstar gets to because they have Morningstar Data Analytics. I know they have three. Well, they have they have uh, the global risk model under risk tolerance. They have Morningstar, which is their Morningstar Direct, Morningstar Advisor Workstation under Investment Data Analytics, and they have Morningstar Goldbridge under Planning Light. They're the only ones that have three. We're probably going to have to look at that. Uh, yeah, so Michael and I keep talking about rationalizing, going through, and really d doing a hard look at anyone who's got more than one logo on the map because. You know, it just really isn't fair. Oh my, I just realized there's a fourth Morningstar, Morningstar office. So uh, we're going to have to look at that. Well, for the moment, they've got four logos um, and the next closest has got two. Uh, but that's just the way things are going at the moment. 
um, again, we're trying to keep the map as useful as possible. So sometimes we're making subjective decisions, but we're trying to keep everything as objective as possible in terms of who gets what uh, positioning on the map. If you have any updates you'd like to share, uh, if you're a vendor who would like to get on the map, or if you have added new features and functionality and you think you should be in another category, please email uh, us at technews at kitsis.com. You can also email myself directly, although you'll probably get a much quicker response, uh, technews at kitsis.com. Our next segment is one of my favorites, which is our monthly review of the Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score. And this month, I have a special guest. I'd like to introduce David Rossin, who is the head of our Wealth Tech Integration Score team. Hey, David. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad you could make the time to talk to us. So what we we're talking about today is uh, the changes in methodology we made um, that just launched this month. So can you just give an overview of why we made the changes, what the changes are, and how they were going to impact the scoring? Sure. So um, there are basically three categories of scores um, that add together to get your total score. Um, first is breadth. And originally, that was basically just um, how many applications do uh, does this application uh, integrate with? Uh, without regard for the level of integration. Um, the issue there was uh, that we wanted to give a higher weight to more popular applications. So uh, the new um, calculation, basically half the score is focused on the 40 or so most popular applications and the other half on all the rest. Uh, next, we had depth. Uh, depth is uh, an individual score for each application integration. And um, there we uh, wanted to give a higher uh, weight to um, stronger and deeper integrations. Um, we found that there were some firms that had uh, quite a number of uh, just single sign-on integrations, uh, but lacked deep integration is what, what we call a score of five. So That's a good point, to... David. Let me jump in there. So that's up something sure. that we wanted to highlight. One of the complaints we had from our clients, uh, whether they're RIAs, TAMPs, broker-dealers, uh, banks, was that vendors would tell them they have all these integrations and how wonderful it is. And then when they got to the, sign the contract and try to implement, they're mostly just single sign-ons and didn't really move any data between the systems, which was a bit of a bait and switch. So we, we wanted to make sure that depth was an important part. In fact, we made it 50%, right? Of the of the score is depth. Right, exactly. Um, and then we have the third, which um, was really originally just three questions because it had to do with um, how easy other vendors might find it to integrate with this right. particular- We're calling that usability. Um, we call it usability, yes, and basically it was just, uh, do you have get APIs that allow other vendors to get access to your information? Do you have post APIs that allow vendors to uh, give information to you, presumably for display or a utilization? Um, and then the simple question, do you have a developer portal? Um, We've expanded that from the original three questions to 20 different questions where we focus um, on uh, about 10 questions on the uh, portal uh, functions. 
um, quite a number of questions on certification. So uh, uh, SOC 2 certification or ISO certification, et cetera. Um, and then a number of uh, questions on um, the APIs themselves. So one of the things that that has done is really um, given a depth to the way that um, vendors' uh, scores um, are maintained. It used to be that if you answered all three questions, yes, you would get a, a perfect score. Um, frankly, with 20 questions, no vendor out there has asked has answered all 20, uh, has all, all of the 20 things that we ask. Uh, quite a number of them, of course, have, uh, have, have the great majority, but it really uh, allows a little bit of uh, detail that was lacking before. Yeah, that's an important part because in understanding the usability of the the integrations and APIs, if there if it's not usable, then what's the point? You really it's you're you're, not, you're paying for something that is not going to provide a lot of value. So these questions um, really pull out and tease out the um, did did the vendor prepare enough support for these capabilities, or did they just roll something out that that nobody can really even access? So the end result of this has meant uh, that the median score. Uh, went up slightly, um, and largely we believe that that's a function of the fact that uh, it is true that most firms uh, do emphasize uh, the popular apps, so the breadth score increased a little bit. Um, but uh, usability, uh, as I said, went down slightly because before you only had to answer three yeses, uh, and now uh, there's quite a lot, uh, quite a lot more there. Um, overall. Um, uh, no significant changes, no surprises per se, but I think uh, uh, users of the score will now find it uh, a bit more valuable. And uh, we're always interested in uh, thoughts uh, about how to improve it. Uh, in fact, the usability questions, the 20 questions came from uh, a group of uh, CTOs, uh, VPs of engineering and others. Um, so if you have any further comments or questions, uh, you can just email us at integrations at uh, ezragroupllc.com, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. David, thanks for taking the time to join us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And you've made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. That had to be the longest news podcast episode I've ever recorded. It was just so much. Also, I think because we forgot, uh, we didn't get the news done last month, so it had a lot of rollovers. Uh, so definitely a long news. Thanks for sticking it out and getting all the way to the end. And before you go, please visit our website, EzraGroupLLC.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you will receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, updates, and links. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time. Mm -hmm.